The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. And this is the Hard Shoulder with Anton in for Kieran. Episode two of the Flack Hole uh, series returns to the TV this evening. It's on RT One at half eight. It's fronted by John Creedon and uh, Myrne Kelly, and the pair present highlights from the most recent staging of the Summer Festival. And John Creedon is with us. And there is uh, much that I want to talk to you about, John. Let's start, of course, with the Fla. I assume great to have it back after COVID. Brilliant. It was, uh, and by, by the way, hello, Anton. Love hello, John. Love to talk to you too. <laughs> it's been a while. Um, I saw, I got a glimpse of you um, in Cork there recently. You just got, oh, Jesse. Oh, 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 oh. That was it. But anyway, the visa hello, was Cork. running out. I had to get out. <laughs> Don't worry, boy. I'll stamp your visa anytime. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, the flag hole is back with a bang. Um, it's, 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 a, it's a remarkable festival in many ways, even for people who are not immersed in the traditional music. It's just an amazing crinu, as I would call it. I mean, I think the, the Celts in ancient times always seem to uh, arrange these huge gatherings of people and I think we still do it. We're still drawn to crowds, you know, whether it's Slane Castle or Crow Park or Daniel O'Connell's mass meetings. I think the Irish love a a get-together and the Flag Hill is an absolutely huge get-together and more often than not in a middle-sized town. So Mullingar, even when I was up there doing the TV promo, I kind of thought, hope the streets aren't too narrow for the crowds. Absolutely perfect and we got the weather and there was a real sense of reopening I mean not just only you know the I suppose after Covid there was a reopening of the country but there was a kind of a coming together again there was the reopening of violin cases banjo cases and it it just really felt like an opening a reopening and of course the fact that it came from Mullingar was quite appropriate given that that's where it started way back when with a handful of people so uh, no it was and another thing I will say actually about Westmeath people sometimes assume that all all traditional music is in West Kerry or West Clare or in Sligo, of course, and Roscommon. They all have great traditions. North County Dublin also has. People often forget that. The Nall and Upper Own Drogheda. There's a huge tradition of uh, of traditional music. But the Midlands, people sometimes maybe don't realise how strong Coltis is in, um, right in the middle of the country as well. So Westmead, I thought, put on a great show and that's genuine, you know. Now, this is the thing that I wanted to ask you about, John, because in listening to you there, there's a, I think Malcolm Gladwell sort of deliberately misused the the description of a person as being a maven, somebody who who is into a lot of stuff and gathers information. I think whenever I read about you, whether it's the folklore, whether it's the music, whether it's geographical place names, I get the sense that you you sort of gather up all that you can before you. But there's one bit that I'm particularly interested in, which is your relationship with John Prine. Because John Prine is one of the most significant songwriters in in, uh, American, uh, in the American musical history. Bob Dylan has described him as a genius. Roger Waters has described him as a genius. And when it came time to pay tribute um, on his his death, because, of course, people will know that he died during coronavirus, it was you who was central to paying that tribute. How did you end up friends with him? Um, I can't say that we were like all drinking buddies or anything like that but I was a fan from the time I was maybe 18, 17, 18, 19 and you know those albums, the ones that get you through the night, you know when uh-huh. <laughs> um, John I think wrote so many fantastic songs he had a great, he had his thumb right on the pulse of the human condition and he, he, if that's not a uh, mixed metaphor, it probably is actually, but um, he seemed to get it and there was a sensitivity and he had a great humour about him. I was drawn to his music from the time I discovered him, probably in Canada, back around 1980, 81, 82, those years. So I always loved the music. And then, of course, the Irish connection clicked because he married Fiona, a Donegal woman, and uh, Fiona Whelan, and... Um, 
they set up shop. Uh, they had their their summer home in in Connemara, so he would have been back and forth to Ireland on a on a fairly regular basis. Then Ireland suited him. He suited Ireland. He got on just fine. Uh, so I would have run into him, I suppose, through through my radio work with Radio One. He would have been a guest on the show on a few occasions. Um, so so there were, it was really just like that that we became. I won't say firm buddies. We weren't ringing each other every night and sitting on the stairs chatting or anything, but. Um, I guess I was championing his music, if that's what it was. I was just playing what I thought was good, and John really was up there. So I suppose we became friends over the years, and then uh, he came to do a special evening at the U.S. Ambassador's residence in Dublin, and he asked me, uh, would I come and do the, you know, do the words and the chin wag on stage and all that, so I did, and there were a few other events like that. But really, it, uh, I, I suppose I was a fan as more than a, a close friend, but um, just a great love for the man. He just uh, he, he embodied really, um, and it's something I suppose that the Irish get as well. I mean, this is like the trad trad music. Uh, if you remember, Philip King did a fantastic series a long, long time ago called "Bringing It All Back Home," where he traced the roots of Americana and country music. Many of those roots came from this little island. Okay, others were German, others were Basque, some were African blues, and this and that and the other. But so we have a very strong connection, and I think um, American country music has a very sympathetical audience here in Ireland. People get it. We're, we're, we love ballads. We love storytelling. And uh, the, I suppose, by definition, a ballad is a story. And John was a master craftsman when it came to stories. He could play with one word. In fact, you know, one of his, his, big, uh, his big hobbies was, was TV uh, quiz shows and crosswords. He loved playing with words, the shape of words. And so he would place his words perfectly he got muscles in his head that never been used. That's a line he uses about a guy. Um, but, but uh, you know, he was absolutely brilliant. And some songs, actually, he's one or two songs, and all they are are similes and, and you know, just a brilliant lyricist, really. And as he said himself, he hadn't a great voice. He had a, a big struggle with neck cancer long before the COVID and everything else, and he seemed to have beaten that twice. But he was telling me, I remember, and he had this raspy voice, which he always had. But he said before he went in for the surgery, the surgeon warned him. He said, we are going to operate, you know, on your voice box you know you won't be able to speak for at least six months afterwards um, and there's a good chance you mightn't be able to sing again he said it's okay I could never sing anyway. <laughs> so, so uh, and maybe that's what it was it was that lived in voice and I'll tell you what though John this, this is a revelation I didn't realise you moved in the kind of circles where you were doing events in the US ambassador's residence You're, that's very high uh, I still have to go in through the kitchens, though. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I tell you, I've done a few interesting ones over the years. I think probably, I won't say like the biggest because what's, you know, uh, but I'd certainly being uh, in the in the Royal Albert Hall with Michael D. Higgins on the occasion of the first visit by an Irish president to London, the first formal visit to be in the commentary box there on that night for RT was, the, that, that, was a, that was an amazing one. And also, I remember another great gig. God, I don't know why this is uh, popping up now, but uh, uh, in China, once upon a time, I did the St. Patrick's Night Banquet <laughs> in Beijing and Dolores Kane. But I actually, I, I wrote my script partly in Chinese and I checked and double checked and rehearsed and rehearsed and paced up and down the hotel room, went down and no one had a clue what I, what I was saying. So, um, but sure, I try anything once, most things. Well, I, I tell you, once. one of my favourite ones about you was the you, you, a, a story of, I won't mention the place, but as a younger man, is it true that you brought in gear into, as in musical equipment, into a very fancy venue and were forced to bring it all back out and come in a different door. Yeah, 
yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah, that's true. Because um, you had chosen yeah. the main entrance and you were only a skivvy and should have gone in the back way. Well, you see, the, the obvious entrance was the front entrance. It wasn't that grand. And um, so I, I, was, I was dropping gear down. I was trying to make a living back in the tough old, in, the, in your real recession back in the 1980s. And, um, yeah, I was loading gear into, um, yeah, a rather posh venue. But the obvious place to bring it in was in the front door. And I had it all set up. And when some geezer arrived out in a double-breasted blazer and said to me, excuse me, young man, take that stuff out and bring it in through the service entrance. I said, what? Ah, it's already on the stage. I'm only bringing in a box of cables. Uh, are you deaf? He said to me. I said, "Oh, I said no. Look, no." Um, so I did bring it in. But I do remember. All right, I don't know who I was talking to about that because the line that came into my head that day. It's funny the stuff that soaks in when you're in school. You think you're not listening, but you do grasp something. Was a line from Shakespeare. I'm not sure which play, but there's a line in it where he says um, how quickly you done the livery of your masters. And what struck me about this was it's. Um, the club I was in would have been frequented by the well-to-do British in in Cork way back when, and with with uh, independence, I suppose, which was fought for predominantly by school teachers and farmers and volunteers and workers Aye. and this and that and everything else. Before we knew it, uh, the, the Irish middle classes had taken the reins, and all of a sudden they were behaving worse than the people <laughs> they kicked out. <laughs> well, John, I tell you what, on that animal farm note, John Creedon, thank you so much for coming on. And of course, if you want to see John and uh, Murray Cowley. They are on TV at half eight this evening, RT1 for the Fiat Flat Kyol. The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from four on News Talk.